it's interesting with Google, they very rarely acknowledge the existence of brand and non-brand campaigns, like in their official mm -hmm. documents. I don't know why, but it's a thing. You're going to have people searching for your brand. They're going to be super high intent. Then you're going to get people who are searching for something else and they might not know about your brand. So you want to show ads to them. And it's just interesting that Google doesn't acknowledge that in their training, in their documentation. This is the Customer Acquisition Show, the podcast that helps you turn complete strangers into repeat customers and grow your business. Hello and welcome to the Customer Acquisition Show. I am your host, Tom Meredith, the VP of Marketing and Innovation here at Tier 11. And today I'm joined by one of our amazing recurring guests, Nick Miller. How's it going, Nick? Hey, Tom. Going great. Great to be back on the show, as always. I think we have to start off with some birthday wishes for you. Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Just so everybody knows, I'm, I made it very clear it was my birthday to Tom before we got on. So yeah. Thank you, though. Now, you were saying this is your first birthday in Ecuador? Yes. Yeah, it's really cool. So I've been living in Ecuador for a year now. I'm from Australia, but for 12 years, I lived in the USA. But I've tried moving to Ecuador to live on the beach and, you know, same time zone. What I've noticed about the Ecuadorians with birthdays, it's such a big event. Even with friends here, it's like two months in advance. They start going, oh, it's your birthday soon. It's your birthday soon. You know, for everyone. So this is probably the most special I've felt for my birthday ever. My girlfriend has just been spoiling me and friends too have been messaging me like a week in advance saying it's your birthday soon. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, well, good luck if you ever leave. All your other birthdays <laughs> are going to pale in comparison. <laughs> right. Yeah. So moving on to some Google chat, you know, we have made some predictions at the beginning of the year about what we thought would happen. And you yes. said that somebody got one right so far. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, it's been the last year especially. 2022 was a huge year of changes for the Google Ad platform. And really, I mean, if you look at it really started around mid-2021 and there was this acceleration in updates to the platform. It's almost like if you could be an expert in Google Ads pre-2021, but that is not going to carry over post-2021 with all the changes that have happened that we've had to update. But anyway, so at the beginning of this year, we all got together with our Google Ads strategists here, and we made predictions for what changes we might be rolled out. And so far, one of us, Shurid, got one right. And congratulations, Shurid. You get a green check there on yours. We have a lot of others, which some of them we still expect to go to happen. But Shurid predicted that there would be asset group level performance data in Performance Max. So just to clarify that, previously Performance Max, you would have asset groups. And similar to Facebook ads, where you would have ad sets, where you would set the targeting, you would create your ads. This is kind of the same thing in Performance Max. But as we know, Performance Max is across all channels. So it's basically where you give all your assets, headline, copy, images, videos, products into one asset group. And you can set the targeting, the targeting signals in that asset group. Now, one of the things that advertisers were complaining about was that you couldn't see the performance for that asset group in terms of like the ROAS, the conversions, all these metrics. Now you can actually go in and see if there's a certain asset group that is driving more ROAS or more conversions or a better CPA, we can actually see that. The caveat is that you need to be careful with this because imagine you have three asset groups, two of them are hitting your target row. I say that's a 3x. 
the other one is, is only hitting a 1x, does that mean that asset group is performing poorly or is it targeting more cold traffic, which is going to have a lower ROAS or a higher CPA? So you need to be careful and not automatically just turn off your asset groups based on the ROAS and target CPA. Yeah, I guess that was going to be my question is like, now that you have this data, what are you supposed to do with it? And it's a great question. And it's like Google, I almost feel like they said, oh, okay, you can have this data because Google has all that data. Yeah. You know, they, they have it all. They're just making the decision about what to give us. And this one was interesting for me because it's like they're almost encouraging advertisers then to go and turn off asset groups based on the performance. With that, they didn't really give a lot of guidance around it. They just released it. So it's pretty interesting. My opinion is, yeah, we need to approach that with some caution. So don't approach it in the same way you would with previous campaign types where like, you know, if you have an ad or a keyword that's not performing, it's, it's quite simple just to go and turn it off. Facebook ads, if you have an ad that's not performing or a particular ad group, even if that's really tanking, you, know, you turn it off. With media buying, that's what we do. More of the good, less of the bad. But with this updated performance max, I believe it needs to be approached with caution. Thanks to our very good friend, big shout out to Mike Rhodes, who developed a script where we can actually see where Performance Max is spending, and even by asset group. Ah, is it by asset group? I'm not sure. Anyway, but it allows us to see where Performance Max is spending, so that gives some insight too. So if an asset group is spending a lot on YouTube, then it's going to have a lower ROAS because that's really like outbound YouTube is going to be cold traffic. People very rarely, especially as you know, price points go up, they very rarely see a YouTube video Oh, I love this. Go to the website. Oh, I love everything here. I'm going to buy a $1,000 product right now while they're on the phone. Happens, but it's more rare. So the ROAS is usually lower for certain campaign types. So that's where you have to be careful. If you're hitting KPI and you have one asset group that is below ROAS, don't touch it. Performance max, the less you touch performance max, the better. With this update, are you able to see like the spend that each asset group gets? Yes. And I mean, I think there's kind of been like a traditional rule of thumb that if something is getting spend, it's likely to at least be engaging, if not perform. It's kind of like the idea, right. like never turn anything off, right? If you have a clear... Exactly. Right. If, it, if it's working, exactly, exactly. When Performance Max was announced, I still believe it's the future. It's where we're heading. You know, I think it's going to take some more time. But we've seen, without going down the AI rabbit hole, we've seen the power of AI. Google has AI technology. I really believe we're moving towards a future where we provide the product or the service, the landing page, and Google's going to create the ads. I think that's where we're heading. And actually, Rashna from our team, she shared the other day on a call that she'd seen it, and it's an announcement, not an official announcement, but it was on the grapevine that that is actually already being rolled out in beta, that you can provide the landing page, the product, Google will basically do everything else. It's coming. Yeah, I guess. Maybe that's a topic for another oh, I have, show. But, I have yeah. thoughts on that too. I guess on uh, <laughs> just one last thing on the data that you get in ad sets, like it's probably best to be viewed as less of things to turn off and more of like what to do in the future, like do more of this and less of that, right? So you're not messing with the exactly. algorithm that's already learned. It's training you to train the algorithm further in the future. Right. And there's a great quote from, he's a really smart guy. He wrote the book called Join or Die. Great book. Uh, it's a few years old now, but, you know, super ahead of its time, really. Mm -hmm. And the one quote that stayed with me 
40, five, maybe five years ago, as he said, we're not media buyers now, we're algorithm jockeys. <laughs> and I think it's such a great summary of where we're heading. Like you said, we're looking to train the algorithms and they still can be clunky. The videos Google creates in Performance Max, if you don't upload a video, like they're still terrible. However, that's now, they're only going to get better and better. So let's, let's talk you know. about that a little bit because you're talking about they're moving in this direction of potentially having like landing pages be just what they create ads based off of. I know we are all pretty like detail oriented creative types here for the most part. So we don't like these videos that Performance Max creates. Have we tested to see how they perform? Great question. Yeah. So, well, usually it's we run Performance Max and with the client's permission, we say, hey, do you have any videos? And they may say like, not at the moment. Okay. If we run Performance Max, Google's going to create videos for you and they're probably not going to be great. And clients are like, it's okay, let's run, see what they're like. Now, usually we've seen cases where this we can see where Performance Max is spending, that Google basically spends next to nothing on these videos. We've seen other cases where it's spent a lot. Now, this is where though with Performance Max, if the campaign is hitting KPI, no problem. If it's not, and it's spending a lot on these automatically generated videos, we think, okay, this is a problem. We need a video to upload. It's not difficult to create a better video than the ones Google creates. So even if you do a voiceover or get some music and have some text and use like an online, like I think even Canva can create videos there or take some videos that may be working well on Facebook ads, upload that to Performance Max. It's going to be better than what Google's created. Once you upload one video, Google's not going to create anymore. You know, and when we've done that, we've seen, okay, spend on YouTube changes. And at least we know we've got a video with intention and not just handing it over to Google's AI. Nice. I mean, video is pretty essential at this point across everything. And if you're not doing video, like you have to find a part. Uh, absolutely. For them. That's right. And YouTube is such an important channel and performance max will learn from youtube campaigns so i think we've mentioned this on previous episodes but you know when performance max was first rolled out there was this belief shared by some, some advertisers that oh this is a way that we can run youtube without having to spend a lot because youtube is cost intensive much more cost intensive than facebook for testing and finding what works we thought okay if we can run videos in performance max then we can just stay with the same budget and it will just spend as necessary on YouTube. Now, what we find, that theoretically may work in time, but it's going to be a lot more effective if you have YouTube campaigns where you found what works. Then Performance Max is going to learn from that and run. Now, if you've never run YouTube campaigns before and you uploaded a video to Performance Max, it's not suddenly going to start spending on YouTube. Yeah, very, very interesting overall. Looking back now, I mean, Performance Max was actually officially announced in 2021, but 2022 was really the year that everybody was, wow, this is coming. Okay, what are the predictions going to be? And now in 2023, it's super interesting to look back and see what we predicted correctly and what has been a little different. So when we were prepping for the show, we talked a little bit about 2022 was like this massive year of change and 2023, we mm -hmm. haven't seen much yet, but you think things are coming? Yeah, 2023 has been has been quiet. Like if you look at the announcements, the official announcements page on Google Ads, which I recommend if you're even remotely connected to Google Ads with your business and you should bookmark this page and just keep an eye on it. The announcements so far this year have been pretty quiet and we're already in May. 
So now I can say that with calls with Google reps where we have signed an NDA, so I can't really disclose details, we've seen a lot of features that are going to be released in beta, which are pretty amazing. There's, gosh, I think there's like over a hundred performance max features that are still being worked on internally and are going to be released in beta. And I believe this is the calm before Google comes out and makes some big announcements. Is there any dancing you can do around the NDA to give some hints? Or like maybe <laughs> outcomes? Like what would the outcome of these changes be? What I can do is go through our predictions and sort of like... Wink? Give some hot and cold. <laughs> give some hot and cold. Yeah. Some, okay. Now, negative keywords on account level only. This was a prediction from Rushner. This is pretty warm. Okay. So... What Rashna is predicting is that the negative keyword for, just to, again, clarify for the non-Google Ads people, if I'm selling this Koala toy, okay, and I want to target only people who are searching for Koala pencil cases, and I don't want to target people who are searching for kangaroo pencil cases, then I would add kangaroo as a negative keyword. And so that way, if somebody searches for kangaroo pencil case, Google doesn't show an ad to them because we want to target people searching for koala pencil mm-hmm. cases. Now, Rashna is predicting that we're only going to be able to do that at the account level, which is much less useful. It's much less granular. Well, actually, it's still working at the account level, I guess. But just say this is kind of looks like a soft toy, like a teddy bear kind of toy. So imagine like I wanted to still target people who are searching for teddy bear toys, but I wanted to have like different ad groups for that. So one ad group, I want to target people who are searching for koala pencil case. Another one, I want to target people specifically who are searching for koala soft toys. Okay. In one ad group, I could add a negative for soft toy because then all my ads are going to be talking about koala pencil case, blah, 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 blah. The soft toy ad group is going to be talking about soft toys and I could add pencil case as a negative there. So Rush is actually predicting that that's going to go away. And who knows, she may be right now. The ability to add keywords, negative keywords at the account level, she's pretty warm there. I'm pretty sure I just broke the NDA. But anyway, but she's warm. All right, well, we, we can move on. I don't want to make you walk a tiger up too much. We didn't prep for this next question. So I don't know how much you can share, but you know, I know we brought on possibly our biggest Google spender recently. And I hear you've been all over like implementing that and taking a lot of your time. What can you share about onboarding and stuff that you have gone through with this client? And what's this? Yeah. Okay. So the spend there is well over a million USD per month and huge, huge search volume, very in-demand service. It's a service-based business. That's as much as I'll say. And what's been super interesting about this particular account is their location-based So they have physical locations in different states. And it's really, really interesting to see the difference in the behavior, for lack of a better word, between the locations. This is a luxury service. So, for example, in Salt Lake City, they have a very high cost per lead, but a very high conversion rate to an actual customer. So there's a 45-day buying cycle between a lead and a customer. And what we're actually helping set up is offline conversion tracking, which I'll get to in a second. But you compare that, so Salt Lake City to Beverly Hills or Miami, much lower cost per lead, but then a lower conversion rate to an actual sale. So, Do you think that's due to like like location competition? I believe it's, yes, competition, but also 
the interest in the service. So this is a luxury service that is for aesthetics. Again, I can say that it's for aesthetics. Okay. What that tells me is in say Beverly Hills in Miami, there's a lot of people who are like interested, but don't follow through with actually becoming patient. So in somewhere like Salt Lake City in Utah, it could be just cultural due to that city. There's not as many people who are actually searching for this or are likely to just browse mm. and kick the tires because and two on paid social, super, super low cost per lead. But the theory is that again, it's, you know, people might see because visually it's going to capture attention. People might see that visually, but again, that could just be kicking the tires again by location. It's just super interesting to see that we expect it's going to take the campaigns to a level is off the offline conversion tracking. So, so what, what's the conversion event when they came to us? What were they optimizing for? It's a lead. So basically, when people go to the website, they fill out a form. And there's actually also a process where they can do, it's a virtual consultation, it's called, which is higher intent as well. So, you know, both of those. But really, it's like there's a lead volume target to hit. So really, it's lead generation. With lead generation, what you have to be careful with with Google Ads is it's possible to get a high lead volume and with Facebook ads too, get a really great cost per lead, but the lead quality has to be good or else it doesn't mean anything. So we've seen this with Performance Max. Performance Max is not a campaign type we're using with this client. Um, yeah, long story short for anybody, we've covered this in previous episodes. We don't use Performance Max for lead gen here, tier 11, because there's multiple, multiple problems. So same case here, and they actually had tested Performance Max before we took them on. And they experienced the same thing. There's like too many spam leads, super low cost per lead, but like this is all junk. So that, you know, that could be a problem. Now, offline conversion tracking, this can be so, so powerful for lead gen. So anybody can go onto a website and fill out a form, okay? Like anybody. After that, what happens? Okay, if Google Ads is not paying attention to what happens after that, it's only going to optimize for those form fields. Now, offline conversion tracking means that when somebody fills out a form and later becomes a customer, then we can send that event. When they become a customer, we can send that event back to Google Ads and it tracks that to the initial click on the ad. And we train the algorithm now to start joining the dots for the people who become actual customers. It's very, very powerful, but you need volume. Google needs at least for an account a conversion action needs at least, at the very minimum, 50 conversions per month. I believe that's Google's official number. We have seen it work with less, but it's a risk. It's like we have to say to clients, if you have less than 50 conversions a month, we can test this, and we don't know. But if you have 50 conversions a month, and especially if you can run a campaign, see those conversions come in, and you're getting, say, at least 20 conversions per week, then you have a foundation for some really, really powerful algorithm training. And that way, Google has the success signal. So when it is bidding, somebody searches for that particular service, Google is going to look at them using all everything it knows about the searcher, because let's face it, Google knows everything about us all, and basically start joining the dots as to how likely is this person going to become a customer, or are they just a tire kicker? So that is so powerful. That's what we're helping set up with this particular client. So well. in the instance where we have like different locations, do you need 50 conversions a month per location or just the account as a whole? This particular account, fortunately, they have one website now for countries. So different countries have different websites. So it's all based around the website, capturing that from the site. 
So no matter where they're coming from, there are some other challenges that you know, have come from having so many locations. But fortunately, this client has an excellent technical team, which is really important too. JJ, our tech lead, we connect them together. They just talk their language, which I understand very little of. And they get together and just make it happen, which is great to see. So that's another thing about offline conversion tracking. Again, great quote from Mike Rhodes. He said, everybody wants it <laughs> until they actually start trying to implement it because you need to have a good web developer. That's usually where the roadblock is. JJ on our team goes, okay, great. We need this, this, and this. But if there's not a good web developer who understands the site, JJ's like, hey, uh, I don't want to break anything. I'm not going to risk breaking anything on the site. And we're not a web development agency. That's a very important distinction because if you have a high volume website and it breaks, for two hours, that could result in hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions in revenue. And JJ actually has a development background. He's like, I'm not touching this because whoever makes these changes needs to be very familiar with the site, have a staging, testing, going to production, like all these processes. So now that needs to be in place. So that's where offline conversion tracking, yes, very powerful. It is worth the pain of going through and implementing. We're very upfront with the client to say, hey, this is what is required, but it's worth it. It's worth it in the end. Yeah, I know with like offline conversions, like it's the most powerful signal that you can give back to the different ad algorithms because it is likely the most important metric or event for your business success. But it's also really hard for that to be implemented. And I know when we onboard a lot of service-based clients, that's the first thing we do. We'll even start with a project just to implement the offline conversions before we even get into like doing much on the media buying side. Right. That's exactly right. Because we never know what we're going to run into. Again, it's because the web development websites can be very complex things. Even if you have a Shopify or setting up a website with an out-of-the-box solution like Squarespace, something like this, we can run into unforeseen events to do with a website. And it's very much, we don't want to break anything. Yeah. But as long as there's a good web developer who's very familiar with the site, then we're good. I'm actually talking about worst case scenarios. We have actually successfully implemented offline conversion tracking with clients who don't have a really great web developer or, you know, their developer is kind of sporadic. They only call them once a year when they need to change something. <laughs> so we've actually been able to implement offline conversion tracking in these cases. But we just always preface it with this is potentially what we could run into just so everybody's clear. And we've worked with so many clients with so many backend systems that are kind of all different. Always, always. And especially the more volume a site has, then in a lot of cases, the more unique it becomes. And the developers, it becomes almost like it's a full-time job in some cases for them to keep track of the site, make sure the uptime is protected, any changes. That's a full-time job. So, and when you're going in with offline conversion tracking and adding little snippets of code, then... You put it in the wrong place. Oops. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it's like, oh, we want to avoid that. Now, I actually have to add this, though. Google has made our life much easier with enhanced conversions for leads. This only works for form fields at the moment, not for phone call tracking. But it basically allows us to implement offline conversion tracking with pretty much only an email address, which is kind of a little scary, too. But basically, similar thing, somebody fills out a form and previously there'd be a little snippet of code which would capture what's called the Google Click ID. Like somebody clicks on a Google ad, there'd be like a little string of code that's attached 
when they land on the page. So it has like, a, you know, koalasofttoys.com and then like a little string of code after that, which would be the Google Click ID. And that's how later on that would be saved. And when somebody became a customer, Google would say, aha, this is this little string of code. We're going to match it to that string of code. Now we have ad blockers. I'm using Brave Browser. So all these different things are interfering with Google's ability to track the Google Click ID. So what's Google going to do? Enhanced conversions for leads, which means that once somebody fills out a form, they land on a thank you page. It has their name, their email, maybe their phone number, their address. Okay, Google says, okay, we're going to take that. Just keep it over here. And later on, if they become a customer, even if they, when they become a customer, they use a different email address or different whatever phone number, Google can track back to that initial interaction based on just their email address. So <laughs> if Google ever says anything about privacy, don't believe it. <laughs> Google is, their existence depends on being able to track conversions. Right. Okay. And this ties into GA4, conversion, offline conversion tracking. They're well ahead of this privacy update. So anyway, so offline conversion tracking, it's actually become easier to implement. But sometimes you still need to use the Google Click ID. So it's still not as easy as we would like, but it has become easier. Nice. Moving on a little bit here, before we were talking about how you're working on scaling one of our supplement brands using Pmax, that's some interesting mm -hmm. thoughts about that plus shopping. Yeah, this is really interesting. My friend John there from Solutions 8 has seen the same thing. So Performance Max, it has a target, okay? And in e-commerce, that's likely going to be a target ROAS, max conversion value with a target ROAS. Now, imagine you have a business where you have repeat customers who are subscribing or every month they come and buy. What can happen with Performance Max when it has a ROAS is it starts seeing that the return customers convert really well and have a super high ROAS. What's it going to do? Aha! All these people searching, what's going to allow it to hit its target ROAS? It's going to go for the returning customers. Okay, that can be a problem because those people may have bought anyway. And it's the top of the funnel starts, it stops being filled up. Now you can get around this by removing the target ROAS, but still it's a problem. In some cases, it's actually more beneficial to test standard shopping to see if that gets a better cost per acquisition, get new customers. Now, this depends on the account. Okay, because we've actually seen with one account that we've had a consistently great cost per acquisition for running Performance Max with a target ROAS with a subscription-based business with a high returning customer rate. Really, really interesting because you'd think Performance Max would fall into that hole of, okay, we're only going to target people who are like searching for brand or coming back. We actually found the opposite when we've run standard shopping campaigns. Those campaigns have gone after the existing customers and the CAC has been terrible. High ROAS, but it's like these aren't new customers. So it depends, but it's something Google has for Performance Max. You can run a new customers only campaign and we've tested this. Now, shout out here to our friends at Wicked Reports. We actually use Wicked Reports with this particular client and we defer to Wicked Reports the data they have. We have two Performance Max campaigns running. One is the standard and one is new customers only. And Wicked Reports tells us that the standard campaign is actually has the best cost per acquisition for new customers. We're like, okay, that's good to see. So we were able to run standard PMAX there and not worry about it just going after existing customers. 
but it's definitely something to be careful of because if you do have a high returning customer rate and a subscription-based business, then Performance Max can fall in that hole. Mm. With high ticket, like once-only purchases, it's not really going to be a problem because say you're selling air conditioners, people buy one hopefully every 10 years or maximum like years. It's not a problem because nobody buys an air conditioner every month. It's Google's just going to go out and find new customers. But when you have supplements or beauty products or something you could buy every month, then you just need to be careful of that because Performance Max can be like, hey, look, I've got a 5X ROAS, but it's going to be targeting people who would have bought anyway and you're not filling up that top of the funnel. So it's yeah. just something to be aware of there. It's like a human characteristic that we often deal with clients of like, we got to scale our retargeting because it has such a high ROAS. Like, North Max. <laughs> right. And I like brand campaigns. Yeah. You know, it's really important for businesses to understand our brand campaigns in Google Ads. So if somebody's searching for your brand, that's going to be a high ROAS. It should be. But sometimes too, the client says, hey, that's like a 10x ROAS. Let's scale that. With like, well, we can't. <laughs> it depends how many people are searching for your brand. We're actually, what you want to do with brand campaigns is get the maximum impression share. That's the metric to look at, but at the lowest cost because you want to get plus 90% impression share, higher, great. And you're going to get a high ROAS. Manual bidding, this is something that we generally use as a best practice for brand campaigns. We use manual bidding, maybe within, okay, going to the weeds, but manual bidding, okay? And that way, we can usually get brand traffic at the lowest cost, still capture all the impressions, get the really high ROAS. But when you use smart bidding with a brand campaign, Google's going to inflate the cost per click and you're going to be overpaying for your brand traffic. But again, yeah, like you said, sometimes like the ROAS is so high and it's like, let's scale that. And it's like, well, no, that's not the idea. We've got to scale the campaigns that are going after new new people yeah. and scale there. Why do you think in this instance, you know, Performance Max did a good job with a recurring product like that? It's interesting with Google, they very rarely acknowledge the existence of brand and non-brand campaigns, like in their official documents. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but it's a thing. You're going to have people searching for your brand. They're going to be super high intent. Then you're going to get people who are searching for something else and they might not know about your brand. So you want to show ads to them. And it's just interesting that Google doesn't acknowledge that in their training, in their documentation. I don't know why. For example, we've had cases where a new client's come in and said, hey, we're going to get 10x ROAS in our account. Can you beat it? We take a look and like 90% of the traffic is brand traffic. We're like, well, no, we can't scale at this ROAS. It all depends on how many people are aware of your brand. That's the only way to scale brand traffic, which can be done through Facebook ads, can be done through YouTube. That's really where you're going to go out and target cold traffic. Non-brand search, yes, also possible, but... Generally, I mean, if somebody's searching for your product, they're going to be closer. Like search is middle of funnel. We refer to it in our camp methodology as in that cold traffic, which it's technically correct. They're problem aware. They're not solution aware. And they don't know about the brand. So yeah, technically they're cold traffic, but they're lower down the funnel than people who are problem unaware and solution unaware. YouTube meta ads, that's where, you know, if you want to go and basically hit people over the head who may not even been thinking about what you're offering, then that's where you go. Yeah. Moving on to what's working now, any new tools that you have? I have to repeat this. This was actually something I know we mentioned on a previous episode, but one of our gun Google Ads strategists has been managing an account, super, super cool product, you know, very specialized niche. 
But one day he made a change to a campaign. It's an optimization which is important, but is not really like an optimization that would change the entire account. But the day he made that optimization, the account was steady at like 2.2x ROAS, which is the KPI. And suddenly one day it went to like 8x ROAS. And he messaged me and he said, Nick, look what happened. I made this change and made the account go to like 8x ROAS. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I was just thinking about it. I was like, I thought about it. I said, no, it's, it's something else is going on here. So I said, sure, I think there's got to be something else going on. Okay. But sure enough, what happened was the client messaged us and said, hey, like this influencer posted a video on YouTube reviewing the product. An influencer with quite a lot of followers, a substantial amount of followers. And we're like, wow, okay, now that makes sense. But what Shura did, and a lot of people don't know you can do this, Shura took that video and started using it as an ad. So that's a very little known fact about YouTube ads. You can use any video on YouTube as an ad from any account that's been published. So technically, in the fine print, ever you upload a video to YouTube, in the fine print somewhere, I've never actually looked at, but I know <laughs> it's true, like you can, it just says this video is gonna allow advertisers to use. So now a lot of the time it's not gonna make sense. Why would you use a video from another account, you know, especially like a competitor? But in this case, it absolutely makes sense. So this, sure it started using this video as an ad for cold traffic for YouTube, the account, has gone from 2.2x on average. Now it stayed steady at 3x. The business had planned for a year of inventory, okay? They sold out in like two months because a lot of it was due to basically what happened after this video was recorded. The influencer marketing, I'm a convert because originally it was my own ignorance. I was maybe like influencer marketing. I don't know, whatever reason I was ignorant. I was like, I don't like it, really silly. I'm a convert. Okay, so it's really how a lot of us find out now about products. And it carries, when you have someone who has the authority and credibility and they're going to review your product and post it to their followers, that can be so powerful. Then that opens up, okay, you know, developing relationships. It used to be celebrities. It's the same thing, but now it can be done on a smaller scale. So you don't need a celebrity. You don't need to get like Robert De Niro to come on and talk about your product. But if you get somebody in your niche who is an authority, who is credible, and they like your product, they're going to do a review. Now, what was magical about this was the influencer, they weren't asked to do this. They did it. They just did it because it caught their attention. So super cool. I mean, if that happens, great. But still, if you're able to find the right personality to do this, really should be authentic. You can probably go and look on Fiverr and find people who do a fake review of your product and I mean, or maybe there's somebody who has a lot of followers, but it's really nothing to do with your product. It's probably not going to be as effective. But in this case, it accelerated the growth of the business. I think they still would have grown anyway, but this accelerated. So yeah, something I know I'm not so involved in here at Tier 11, but I know where we're starting to look at this. And especially for YouTube, just bring it back to Google Ads, YouTube is really, really important channel for this. Yeah, I think beyond just even Google ads, like the power of the influencer marketing, sure, there's that great first hit of somebody else talking about your product, but whether it's Facebook or you know Google or YouTube where you can spend against that video or even TikTok with their Spark ads, like advertisers now have the ability to put ad spend behind these user-generated videos to really up their exposure of them beyond what they would get just from being, mm -hmm. you know, a featured product in somebody's YouTube. Right. Yeah. How about AI, ChatGPT? You do anything fun there? <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. We have a little bit of time to talk yeah. about this. To be honest, I do use ChatGPT 
from time to time. I know our team has been using a lot. Rashner and Ollie basically developed a script, which apparently is on the grapevine to announce, but you give them the landing page, the product, and ChatGPT will write your headlines and copy. And so I know Rush and Ollie have actually built their own version of that and built that. I use it more for Google Sheets scripts. I know it's a simple use case, but I just say, write me a script that does yeah. this and it does it. That's so much faster than going through documentation. So that's one use case. I think that's where it's going to grow when it accelerates the time to do something. There's probably a lot that I'm doing right now that could be accelerated through ChatGPT. I think it's just the adoption. This is actually interesting. I will, I'll talk about this with AI. We had someone come through who is looking to work with us and they asked us, how will Google's AI view change search and ads? Okay, my point of view is it's really not going to change that much in terms of how Google shows ads. It's more to do with can... Google maintain their users going to Google to search for things or ask questions instead of ChatGPT, whatever other tool comes out, okay? Because Google's entire existence depends on that unless they come up with some search. The revenue for search ads is something like 70% of Alphabet's revenue, something like that, okay? So what are they going to do? If somebody searches in and they start showing like AI-generated answers, not much is going to change if people are going to Google to do that because that's the real estate they're using to show ads. As long as people are going to that white screen, typing something in, and Google can show an ad, they're good. Because even if they put in a prompt, whatever prompt they put in for AI, Google's still going to use that prompt to compute like the best ad to show them, still use what they know about that person to show ads. It's still that same real estate. Facebook's real estate is the Facebook app. And maybe on desktop, it's like the site, facebook.com. That's the medium. And Instagram, of course, like all the placements. But that's the medium. Like, you can't get away from that. That's billions of people go. And look, same with Google search. They go to that white screen, put something in. Google's like, aha, we'll show an ad. Okay? So with AI, I don't think that'll change so much. If it's an AI-generated response, they can still show an ad. It's going to give them more data. They're going to learn more about what people are trying to solve. So it could actually be a benefit for them because imagine they don't have a website. That's what Google organizes the internet. So when people search, they match what they see is the best possible solution. Now with AI, they're like, well, if we don't have a website, our AI can create what might be the best answer. So yeah, I don't see that'll change things too much. Yeah, I have speculation that I think they'll try to embed ads as part of the response to prompts, but I know that's mm -hmm. a little sketchy. Right. Exactly. Right. I mean, you imagine like in the prompt, like there's a little link. So you can find more about that here. And then in that the link is like hyperlinked within the answer. Wow. Yeah. I, didn't, I hadn't thought of that. Google's most important platform for an advertiser right now that's not going to change because ChatGPT is not doing anything with YouTube. TikTok might be, but there's no replacing YouTube with ChatGPT or any other sort of AI chat interface. No, that's right. I'm reading Tony Robbins' new book, and he said in one of the first pages, 83 years of video is uploaded to YouTube every day. 83 years worth of content. <laughs> so it's not going anywhere. And really, most of my YouTube watching now is on TV. My remote has YouTube as a button. So press that and then watch YouTube. So it's really, really important channel for Google Ads. 
but you're right. I think AI, unless, I don't know, maybe we're missing something, but I can't really see how AI will affect YouTube unless the videos get so good that YouTube, the AI and YouTube starts producing its own videos and posting them. So when people search for something, it's going to be an AI generated video that YouTube actually produces itself. Whoa. Like if it cuts together various YouTube video clips to answer your question. Right. I mean, I'm sure it can do that, but then Google can decide to show ads on anything. And really, I mean, again, it comes back to the user experience is paramount for Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. They all need the eyeballs. That's first of all, daily active users, monthly active users. That's the foundation. Then they're like, okay, how many ads can we show before people start getting annoyed by them and leaving? They're always like trying to find that sweet spot. But yeah, with AI, I mean, you imagine like testing the AI creates a video, runs it to certain people. How effective is it? Learns from that. Oh, gee. If you type in a power suggestion and it takes the highest viewed clips from thousands of power of suggestion videos and puts it together in a cohesive little story that gives you everything you need and answers your question and then runs ads against that because it's super relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I saw, I think that we, they've started teasing the new chat interface search experience for Google. Really? I haven't seen it. I've seen some people on TikTok showing it. And then I know Bard is also updated. That's Google's ChatGPT competitor. Yeah. And it's also widely right. available. Bard, yeah, there's a few. Like Google has the technology, but they need to be a little more cautious with how they roll it out. As we talked about, ChatGPT, OpenAI, previously really didn't have a brand to protect. Yeah. It's like, what do we have to lose? Let's, let's roll it out. But Google, you know, I think they had a demonstration and they were going to demonstrate Bard and it got something wrong. In one day, the stock just tanked and it's like, oh, okay. So, you know, I believe they have all the tech. They've just got to roll it out a little more cautiously. Yeah, it's going so fast. I had the ChatGPT browser plug in for a second and playing with it, it was so powerful. And I've seen people with the new code interpreter and they're using it for basically as their own personal data scientist. So you can upload a spreadsheet of any data and ask it questions and it'll visualize it, answer your questions and everything that would require you to go in and like find yourself. It can just do lickety split. Wow. Wow. Accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I think it's, you know, it all comes back to adoption. Yeah. But it's happening. So we're going to have to do another uh, AI episode. It's been like two months. I'd love to be on or, that. Yeah. Which is like three years in AI time. I know. I mean, well, probably this, you know, other people here at Tier 11 who have been using the tools a lot more. I know Ollie, Rush, and Ashurid have been using AI, like that chat GPT extensively. So, you know, they probably have more to share real knowledge. I'm more about at the moment sort of speculating where we're heading, yeah. to, which is fun yeah. too. It's all fun. Cool. Well, yeah. Nick, thank you very much. We're about right at time. We're contributing our hour to the 83 years today of uploaded video to YouTube. <laughs> um, thanks again for joining and uh, sharing all these tips about Google Ads. And if you enjoy this video and find it helpful, please like and then share it with your friends. And if you are needing help running your Google Ads or setting up offline conversions, please head over to tier11.com. And you can fill out a form to talk to our sales team and we can figure out how we can help you. Well, Nick, thank you very much. And until next time. Thanks, Tom. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Customer Acquisition Show. Take the next step toward growing your customer base. Visit tier11.com and request your customized growth plan. And remember to hit the follow button so you can be notified of future episodes.
You know why most agencies fail in the first 30 days? Well, they don't do the work beforehand. And they realize once they start managing ad accounts and doing all the things that working alongside businesses like yours in order to get you the results that you want, they waste a whole lot of time in the first 30, 60, 90 days, and they're fumbling around in the dark. That's because they have not used what we do over at Tier 11, what we refer to as the strategic growth plan. Now, a strategic growth plan is a deep dive into what has gone on inside your ad accounts and your business with all the important financial metrics that you need in order to scale and grow. We analyze all that, come up with a plan that's 30, 60, 90 days out, and then we use that as our game plan once we start actively managing ads, once we start doing our creative research, once we start doing all our after-the-click extensive tracking on dev, but the plan is the key. And if you have an agency that is failing you right now, it's probably because they don't have a plan. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. So get your strategic growth plan over at tier11.com. Hit the big pink button, fill out the application, and we'll be in touch with you on how we can help you scale and grow your business through getting more customers and increasing their lifetime value. That's all we do at Tier 11. Head on over to tier11.com. Get your growth plan today.